Welcome to the Intelligent Dynamic Sensing Podcast. My name is Bruce Malkinson, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Accenture Technology Corporation. In each episode, you will learn from industry experts who share their insights and strategies on how to reveal hidden surface data and optimize the performance, comfort, and safety of surfaces. We will discuss and present solutions that have worked for real-world applications across fields like product design and safety testing, consumer, clinical, and human body performance. All right, welcome, Paul. I'm uh, looking forward to continuing our webinar series, uh, particularly as we discuss the utility of planter pressure data in improving outcomes for patients. And uh, in considering that, I have a few questions I'd like to ask you. Yeah, hi, Bruce. I'd be happy to do that. So uh, um, as we look forward, um, you know, to this webinar and, and the, the idea of testing treatment strategies, I, I guess my first question is, what are the typical methods of measuring foot dysfunction and where do those fall short? Well, really, that's a, a great question because a number of different practitioners will have their own favorite methods of testing function and dysfunction. But I guess the three main areas is looking at the pronation at the subtalar joint. That's a traditional method that's been around since the 1970s. And I'd go as far as saying is that is a co most common method of assessing whether the foot is dysfunctioning or not. The only challenge to that is in 2019, a paper by Nig et al. noted that there's no clinical definition of overpronation and that, quote, the normal degree of pronation is unknown, therefore it is quite impossible to determine what is an excessive normal, end quote. So because we don't know exactly what the key threshold of too much pronation is, it's really difficult to know with the comparing the individual to a normative, whether that's too much or not. The next is looking at how the midfoot functions. Um, a lot of people just look at the foot and says, okay, is it a normal arch, a high arch or a flat foot? And that's been quantified mostly in the navicular drop or navicular drift um, testing. The, the issue there is like with all physical tests, the outcome is very dependent on the accuracy of the, techni the technique of the practitioner doing the test. Uh, the third area that is very common is looking at the windlass mechanism. But the grading of that function is difficult as the first MTP joint does not have the full load of body weight with the normal momentum of gait when the person is doing this test. So it provides an indication of function, but not a true representation of dynamic uh, body weight gait function. This is why we need to have an objective, obje sorry, a dynamic objective measurements uh, in our assessments to get real-life measurement. The tests I've mentioned and others help our understanding of why the weight-bearing function occurs and why the dysfunction occurs and allows us to test this understanding in real-time dynamic weight-bearing circumstances by using interventions that mimic possible treatment strategies. And I guess the, one of the things that's kind of common to, to all of the points you raised is symmetry or asymmetries. And those asymmetries are, of course, a symptom of foot 
and or gait dysfunction. How common are symmetries and at what point do you determine that a symmetry is problematic for the individual? Well, most of us are born with asymmetries and we certainly develop asymmetries as we experience life through growth phases, injuries, workplace activities, sporting drills. I mean, the fact that we have a dominant right side or left side when we kick a football, for example, that will cause some asymmetry. However, when the body's compensation, being the joint mobility, muscle power, and soft, to soft tissue elasticity, is not enough to manage the forces generated by the patient's activity, the tissues become overwhelmed and as a result injured. So it's really, the answer to your question is that we all have asymmetries to some degree. And if the body can compensate, there won't be a problem. But when the body's ability uh, becomes less for, for many reasons, injury, age, uh, lifestyle, injuries can occur. And then <clears throat> if we move on to, to considering plantar pressure now, what are the key measures from pl plantar pressure uh, measurement that provide insight into the magnitude of asymmetry? Well, plantar pressure gives us a library of information and we can look at each of those parts of the information and cross-check to get a really clear and accurate picture. I would use the centre of pressure trajectory, the, the way that the body weight moves through the foot and its velocity, if there's any stoppages um, due to dysfunction. The centre of pressure excursion index is another research validated uh, method of assessing foot function and in, and in doing so asymmetry. The force versus time loading curves showing the loading of the rear foot, midfoot, and forefoot, left versus right, that really demonstrates uh, asymmetry. And for people with high-risk feet, the high areas of pressure for prolonged times that the pressure mapping provides, that shows areas of asymmetry and, as a result, high areas of pressure loading. Okay. And, you know, of course, with along with asymmetries, you know, the body has the incredible ability to adapt. So as the body will adapt to a gait dysfunction, how does that compensation negatively impact movement? Well, one adaptation often causes another resulting in compensations from the foot up into the legs and pelvis due to overloading, pain avoidance, soft tissue tension or muscle imbalance, or just the joints not working. And as one joint becomes restricted, the joint above and below can have up to twice the loading as a result. And this, of course, is made worse with the resultant contraction of the associated soft tissues. So anyone who's ever rolled their ankle, they've got mm -hmm. a very painful uh, area on the outside of their ankle. They will know that they will walk very, very different to the, how they did before the injury. They will compensate by reducing the dorsiflexion of the foot and the uh, weight bearing through that foot. They will flex the knee, flex the hip, load and weight shift the weight onto the other foot, etc. If appropriate rehabilitation 
isn't done and reversal of that adaptation as pain avoidance, then that person will then maintain some level of that asymmetry going forward, even when their um, ankle is healed and not painful anymore. So that will cause asymmetries right up from one leg to the other. So uh, in, in an effort to, to, to make corrections or to intervene to, to improve that, that um, uh, problem, how can plantar pressure measurement help provide the understanding of what normal motion ought to look like? Well, we're fortunate in as much as we do have some normative or ideal values that have been validated by research. So if we look at the first in the center of pressure line, if we look at the trajectory, as that is the way the weight bearing moves through the foot, Finn Bolson Moller in 1979 described the ideal center of pressure trajectory from as moving from the lateral heel through the, medi the midfoot, moving medially across the parabola of the metatarsals to the first and second MTP joint. So this has been confirmed by further research since. So we have this ideal trajectory of where the weight bearing should be going that we can use as a comparison. We can look at the center of pressure velocity or timing to see whether it is fluid and symmetrical or whether there are blockages within that line that will cause further compensations. Again, there is the CPEI, which shows the lateral deviation of the center of pressure from a reference line to show that if the foot is working in a pronated, normal or supinated function during dynamic weight bearing. So that's the center of pressure line. We can look at the tissue loading, particularly in patients with history of a diabetic foot ulcer. We know that peak pressures of greater than 200 kPa will increase the risk of an ulcer. So the 200 kPa has become the normal upper pressure threshold for those with histories of ulcers in their feet. We then look at the force versus time graph. We can see that we know what the uh, gait events are through the, the gait cycle and the loading of the rear foot, midfoot and forefoot and when they should be within that gait and how symmetrical they are. And finally, the st statistics, which provide an easy comparison of numerical data on many key indices. So not only can we see asymmetries, but we can compare key events such as stride time and rates, support time and swing, etc., which there are normative data for. So there's a lot of strategies, obviously, for the... Um for the clinician to employ and, and depending on the problem, uh, bring some understanding and, and a strategy for correction. But finally, uh, you know, my last question is that this is of course all about helping the individual that has an impaired gait. So how can plantar pressure measurement be used to help patients understand their problem and help them uh, want to comply with treatment strategies? That's a great question, Bruce. Pressure analysis is so visual with the appropriate explanation, I find my patients do become very involved. When we then use an intervention and reanalyze to see the outcome, they are really interested to see the result. 
And interestingly enough, even when the foot doesn't respond the way I had expected, as I've already explained about how the force is managed by the compensatory features of the body, I can discuss, discuss strategies to improve this. And the engaged patient will then happily make appointments for this appropriate therapy. And when I see them again for review, they are keen to be re-recorded so they can see if there's been any improvement. So because of the visual nature and the dynamic nature, so the person can actually see and appreciate with the appropriate explanation what's going on, and then they can see the changes in the comparison of what's going on, it's far easier for them to understand it than... And this is really, really important because once upon a time, it was a very easy thing to talk about how much the foot pronated. And you did a video to show how much the foot rolled in and people, because of the very visual nature of it, really saw it and understood it. Since we've been more looking at foot function through a kinetic point of view, looking at the forces rather than the actual kinematic angular features, it's a little bit more esoteric. It's hard to explain concepts to a patient when it's not a visual sort of uh, environment. But this is where planet pressure really comes to our help. Okay. Well, that provides a lot of clarity and, and uh, certainly uh, opens up a lot of other questions to kind of dig into this and understand really, um, you know, what do these things look like in in pressure measurement tools. So we uh, thanks again for all of your insights and really look forward to uh, the upcoming webinar and, and getting into a whole lot more detail on these subjects and more. Okay, thank you. Look forward to it too. Thank you for tuning in to the Intelligent Dynamic Sensing Podcast. To learn more, go to Accenture.com or email us at sales at Accenture.com with any questions you may have. We'd love to hear from you. Never miss an episode by subscribing anywhere you listen to podcasts.